0: Come on!
1: Behind the Magic WW w- w-
2: Radio
3: Your Information Station Hello my friend and welcome To the WW Radio Show Your Walt Disney World Information Station I'm your host Lou Mangello, and this is show number 603 and I'm here once again Not only to help you have the best Disney vacation when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you some of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, live video broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night videos blog special events audio tours and more whether you're planning your next trip to the parks or just love the history details secrets and stories there's something in the show for you because each week i'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between if you're a new listener thank you for being here please go back and check out some or all the past episodes for interviews top tens reviews and more you can subscribe to the podcast and apple podcasts and find everything else at the all new ww So this week we're going to look at some of the interesting, unique, funny, and just plain weird things that have happened in Walt Disney World throughout its history. From shows to parades, characters, events, and more, this is going to be a fun look back at some things you think you may remember and some others you may have tried to forget. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win an all-new Disney prize package, Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more information, updates, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show.
1: House is rocking with the mania that's hit the street with a brand new beat. Gosh, sounds
3: like a party. Maybe I should bake a cake. Oh, You'll yep. oh, tip us, Goofy! It's not that
1: kind of party. It's a death chip. And we're invited to groove with the rest of the gang. That's right, Roger. My main man, Mickey Mouse, is busting fresh out of sight. He wants you all to chill hard and bump the bump while the mania grooves your moves. Mickey Mania is taking control. <laughs>
2: We
3: all come home from Walt Disney World with, you know, surprise memories of things that we have done and seen and tasted and experienced during our vacation. And it's why we go and it's why and how we often encourage other people to go because we come back and we share these stories that are often fun and funny and heartwarming, etc. And they often will make people say like, wow, I can't believe you did that. That's so cool. But I think over the years, Walt Disney World itself has sometimes caused us to have similar yet very different reactions, not necessarily to something personal we experience with family and friends, but because we could not believe what we and every other guest that was around us Just saw. And instead of, wow, cool, it made us ask, wait, what? And so this week, we're going to look at some of the things we cannot believe ever happened in Walt Disney World. And joining me once again is Kendall Foreman from the WW Radio blog. You remember her from such shows as episode 442 Extinct Walt Disney World Things Other Than Attractions, we would bring back. And show 589, the Disney MGM studio backlot in Burbank that never was. Kendall, welcome back.
2: Hey, I'm glad to be back. Glad to talk about some stuff that actually did happen. <laughs> well, Instead and I of- think that's going to be
3: for some people. Because I-, I think there's there's a little bit of like Mandela effect that's going to happen here. Like, do I did I really remember that happening or not? And I think we're going to validate some people's memories of things that I'm sure... They would go to friends and family and go, Oh, do you remember this thing in Walt Disney World? And they're like, Kendall, that never happened there. But in fact, they actually did.
2: Yeah, that's where this whole topic came from for me was that the first one that I want to talk about um, that I ran across an article online one day and I thought, Well, that's. <laughs> is that what I remember? Or, no, I think I remember something else. Is that real? And it kind of led me to dive into this whole topic of just these crazy things that kind of are just in the back recesses of your memory.
3: Yeah, you suggested this and and it instantly made me smile because especially for, for, you know, like me who has friends who maybe didn't go as early as I did. I, I consider myself very fortunate that my parents took me since 1971. So I was able to see and have some somewhat vague memories of some things over time, and they say, Lou, that, that never, that's not a Disney property, that never happened here, or, you know, it was the 80s. Maybe your memory's a little bit crazy, um, and this is not gonna be one of those, you know, internet buzz lists. Number three is going to shock you, but there really are some incredibly interesting, there were choices made uh, over the years um, in terms of what Disney thought would become guest satisfiers, and, you know, in looking at this list, for a very brief moment, we, we thought about it being a top 10 and realized, as in most top 10s, there's way more that we need to cover. And I almost wasn't really sure how to approach it. Do we do it by categories? Do we do it by, you know, chronological? Maybe it's just best to try and dive in going park by park if we can. I have a feeling we're going to be sort of bouncing all over the place and and I am very curious because you mentioned that there was something a specific thing that start hopefully it's in the magic kingdom because I'd love to start there and make our way around
2: well you're in luck it is in the magic kingdom um I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was probably 4 years ago because I I would guess there was it was probably a D23 article and it would have been 4 years ago because it was election related and it talked about Winnie the Pooh running for president in Disneyland in 1972 and in 1976. And I looked at this and I thought, wait, wait, wait a minute. I think I remember Pooh running for office, but, but I've never been to Disneyland. How did I experience this? And so I started searching on the internet and I thought, I, I know this happened. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm, looking and I'm finding nothing. Until finally, I find someone who has a photo, I don't know if it linked me to Pinterest or where this was, but a photo of a ballot of Winnie the Pooh not running for president, but running for the mascot of Main Street. And he was running against Captain Hook. And this happened in 1995. Um, It was part of a, a Main Street summer celebration. I do not remember what else happened as part of that celebration. But I do vividly remember once it it all started flowing back, once I saw the picture, (laughs) remember walking in on main street and they would hand you this little kind of cardstock paper ballot that was perforated on each end. And it told you in the middle to, you know, make your selection and you tore off either Winnie the Pooh on the one end or captain hook on the other. And you would place it in the ballot box. And each day they would elect the mascot, whether, you know, whichever one won the most votes. And after you put your uh, ballot in the box, you got a little, I voted for Pooh or I voted for Captain Hook sticker. So I guess this was not a secret ballot. <laughs> I, I guess you proudly <laughs> wore who you were voting for. And, um, and I saw while I was looking, I never saw this personally, but they also had a Main Street Gazette edition that came out while this was going on. And then in the afternoons, they would have like a little mini cavalcade that went around the flagpole with Winnie the Pooh out in front with, uh, with Tigger walking along next to him and they were carrying a banner that said, Pooh is the mascot for you. And then after that was, I imagined it was probably Mayor Christopher Weaver. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was probably around that long, but he was on a gazebo kind of getting everyone excited for the, for the mascot election. And then Captain Hook followed on a small uh, little boat float being piloted by uh, Captain Smee, or not Captain Smee, but First Mate Smee. And then they had uh, some some great fellow supporters there, in Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham and John Worthington Fowl Fellow that followed along with Captain Hook's float. Do you remember this? Were you there for this? So, you know, again, this is one of
3: those things that when I see pictures, and when I see the, like, the little cards and stuff, I have this memory, but... I don't know if it's sort of like this retroactively implanted memory because we did. We went to Disney at least once or twice a year. So there's a good chance that I probably saw it. I wish I have a a, a better personal recollection of it because it was it was a pretty big deal, Um, you know, both in Disneyland when it ran for the four years and then Disney World when it ran in 72 and 76. And it was this. Promotion that not just extended from the four corners of the parks, but I think kids. I think there was like this promotion at, that was tied to Sears. They were able to sort of enter ballots or something and, and sort of nominate party um, um, possible you know running people for uh, in in the party at Sears. And the the processional sort of went up at Main Street, you know, to and from Cinderella Castle. And in, in again in doing my research, I found. Some stuff from both Disneyland and Walt Disney World showing people holding, you know, signs Pooh in '72 and Pooh for president, and Pooh's campaign promises were to put honey in every pot and a battle to lick the high price of ice cream cones. You know, again, not, you know, I was only four at the time, so I don't really know what the political climate was in 1972. I had to imagine this was. At the time, and certainly couldn't happen now, a very risky thing to do in the, you know, anytime you talk about politics, even if it's, you know, Pooh and Captain Hook related politics, you know, you open yourself up to, you know, to who knows what from where. So as, as absurd as it was, it was probably something really fun too, and maybe even caught, you know, taught kids a little bit too, you know, about politics.
2: Yeah, I remember specifically with the mascot version, I I remember everyone in my family voting. And I remember that my dad voted for Captain Hook. He was the only one of us and the rest of us voted for Winnie the Pooh. But I know we left partway through the I mean, that was at the height of the park hopper. So we left partway through the day. We did not see who won that day. Um, So I don't even remember. I couldn't find anything what they did when they finally announced who the, I don't know if they announced it from the train station or I imagine they probably had some sort of fanfare over who actually was named mascot for the day.
3: Yeah. It, um, (laughs) and and I don't, I couldn't really see how long these um, how long it actually run for, you know, sort of where, when the promotion began and when it ended Uh, I was able to find some, some photos of people that scanned in of, you know, their buttons and and things that they had won, uh, but again, certainly not something that I think could be replicated in um, the the twenty twenties going forward. But um, uh, probably very cute for kids in terms of getting their their feet wet in terms of the uh, in terms of the the delicacies of politics. So um, I am actually going from the um, the the crazy world of politics to a crazy world of entertainment throughout the parks and man when you think of crazy entertainment in the parks for me there is only one name that comes to mind first and his name is Michael Iceberg and he performed Mm -hmm. um, in Walt Disney World he also performed in Disneyland just to give you a little bit of background so Michael Iceberg was a classically trained Pianist um, started learning piano a- around age four. Went to a little school called Juilliard, and somehow ended up in retail music sales. Um, was not able to do you know everything that he wanted to with this, um, but he became fascinated by this new keyboard and synthesizer technology that was coming really into vogue in the the mid seventies, you know, early eighties, and. What he did was he programmed a lot of these machines himself and he actually would gather parts and sounds from all of these different non-musical areas and bring them to start creating music. And from what I understand, he was playing in a bar near the Disney Studios in California where a number of artists would go in Um, they were incredibly entertained by him they kept on going back to the studios to the higher up saying you've got to hear this guy and eventually got them to come into the bar and he was offered an entertainment gig in Tomorrowland in Disneyland Uh, eventually he came over to Walt Disney World, and he was Michael Iceberg and the incredible Iceberg Machine. And he played in the Tomorrowland Terrace, which is currently um, Cosmic Rays Starlight Cafe. And this Iceberg Machine was this incredibly large and complicated multi keyboard type instrument that he developed by combining all of these different synthesizers to create a very unique musical style and he gathered all this technology into what would eventually become this almost pyramid like structure that iceberg kind of confined himself in and it was this wild cacophony of music and sounds but He was as much of a performer as the music that he was playing. He would stop in between songs and describe what the machine was and how he put it together and how he programmed it. And there's all these lights and fog machines happening, again, very 80s-ish. And he described some of the things that he gathered and cobbled together from flea markets and washing machine parts and would play songs that were familiar things like the William Tell Overture and Main Street Electrical Parade theme and and different Disney songs. Um, If you go back and find some of the videos, it almost sounds like the beginning of Stranger Things, like that weird 80s type of... But the guy was wacky, man. He was like... And I mean this affectionately. He was whacked out of his mind. Uh, No two shows were every, ever the same. And you can tell that Disney really gave him, and this was something that I thought was very interesting, was that they gave him a lot of creative freedom in terms of not necessarily have to scripting to script out every part of his show. It was this very stream of crazy consciousness that um, that Michael would do. But what I think it did do too Kendall is it probably got a lot of kids interested in music and synthesizers and again I don't want to take anything the guy was a it still is a remarkably talented and gifted not just pianist and composer but singer as well
2: what I thought was really interesting when I went back and watched one of the videos too is as part of the the big iceberg apparatus, there were mirrors up above his head, angled down, so you could actually see him playing all the different buttons and keys and everything that were on it. And was this, because I never saw this in person, but was this at the same time when the stage in there would, would rise up?
3: Yeah, so he would from actually, underground? yeah, he would, and he would come up again uh, amidst this, you know, very 70s, 80s type you know, lights and fog and smoke and stuff. So he he made a very dramatic and grand entrance.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely different kind of music, but it is kind of crazy, like in a way that like when you listen to Stomp or something (laughs) like it's, it's, you know, the ability to take all these different sounds and everything and make music out of it. And you you kind of listen for a while and you, you think, okay, what's going on here? And then you pick up like, you know, he's playing when you wish upon a star or something, right. but it's not like a typical melody. It's just all these different things coming together to somehow make that music.
3: Yeah, I um, I I always found it very, I mean, I think Michael Iceberg was very much a, an attraction um, in and of himself.
2: Well, for my next one, I'm going to stick with some entertainment, but I'm going to go to the opposite side of the Magic Kingdom over to Frontierland. And this was a very deja vu moment for me. The one time we were walking through—I mean, within the last decade—walking through Frontierland, and I, I think we might have even—I don't know. My husband's known for enjoying corn dogs, which you know, we recently found out they don't have the regular corn dogs at the Frontierland cart anymore. That's a side note, but a travesty. <laughs> so we're standing there by the cart, the corn dog cart, and I'm looking across the way at the rooftops, and I think to myself, I. I remember something being here. I remember watching. And then I thought, no, that, I'm like, I I swear, I remember guys shooting at each other on the rooftops. And i thought, no, Disney wouldn't let there be like a shootout in the park. And so very recently, I was looking through some old Disney World ephemera I had. And I, I had an old times guide that I had gotten Minnie's autograph on. And I opened it up and lo and behold in there, it listed the Frontierland stunt show. So upon doing some more research, I found out I was not crazy. And in fact, there was a stunt show that took place several times a day throughout Frontierland. And it was um, the Marshal and Cactus Jack Slade and his partner, Cody, and then a character that they just called Stupid Kid. (laughs) And Cactus Jack and Cody uh, clearly annoyed with with stupid kid would send him out to try to you know take down the marshal or whatever, which would not work and the marshal would trick him and end up taking his hat and all of this would take place on the frontier land promenade kind of out in front of the country bear jamboree and um, the kid would go back to cody and and cactus jack and tell him well it didn't work he he ended up he stole my hat and and they would be upset with him because they wanted to rob the bank and and it would end up, they would, they, they would be successful in robbing the bank and which I guess the bank was in the country bear jamboree or, or one of the buildings there. And so they would end up on the roof running off with their bags of money and the marshal would come in and a fight would, would ensue. And there'd be, you know, punching sound effects and, and flipping over things and ladder falls and shooting and, and it all, of course, ends with the marshal saving the day and getting the bank's money back, and and everyone cheers. But yeah, it, it's funny to go back and watch videos because to see Cactus Jack just strolling down Frontierland carrying a rifle <laughs> is not something that you would see today. <laughs> the marshal points at stupid kids' rear end is not something you would ever imagine to see in the Magic Kingdom.
3: Yeah, and I think. I think that this show actually, when it first debuted, started at the old Frontierland train station, didn't it? And then when they yes. closed that, then they moved it over. Because I remember seeing this on top of the overpass, uh, you know, in between the Country Bear Jamboree and the Frontierland Mercantile Shop, mm-hmm. uh, and being amazed. Like, and again, we think about it now that not only were there are these characters walking around the streets of Frontierland carrying guns, but they were shooting each other, you know, at the, at the tops of these buildings. But I also remember, and I still have it in my garage, one of my favorite souvenirs as a kid, and I know some of you can remember this, was you were able to buy these wooden rifles that had these metal barrels as well as these um, uh, smaller pistols, both in Frontierland as well as in Caribbean Plaza, too. And they were, um, they fired caps like they had like the little um, the paper caps that you could put on them, and then eventually they were just sort of you know the metal on metal. Um, it's funny, yeah, I can't believe you brought back that memory of, of watching the um, the uh, the cowboy shootout on top of um, on, in in Frontierland. So I'm trying to think about where I want to go next, um, and. There is such, and I'm sort of going to just quickly, there's such great entertainment and such weird and wacky entertainment that we're we're going to touch on, Uh, not the least of which is when we get to the birthday celebrations. We'll definitely get there. But I want to go over to um, pre-storybook circus um, when there was at one time um, not just what was originally Mickey's birthday land. But at one point there was actually a farm in Walt Disney world. And specifically it was grandma ducks petting farm. And it was presented by by friskies, the, the pet food people. And in this petting farm, there were chickens and goats and pigs and ducks. And there was actually the star of the show was this cow named Minnie Moo who had this giant hidden Mickey on one side of her body in in sort of the 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 black on white and this was around oh god I'm I'm trying to think in in probably 1990 or so somewhere around there about until 1996 and then they eventually moved they moved Minnie Moo over to the petting farm in Fort Wilderness where she lasted for a number of years and if you're trying to if you're if you're trying to imagine where this is, the farm was where the entrance queue area is for Goofy's Barnstormer roller coaster. Now this is again not a, a one of the things that I get. Lou, you, you've got to be thinking of Disney's Animal Kingdom. There was no way at any time any live animals actually in Walt Disney World, but it was uh, Grandma Duck's Penning Farm was was a thing in Walt Disney world. I have, I remember being, um, I remember sort of being there. I don't remember necessarily mini Moo per se, but I do remember going to Mickey's birthday land um, when it opened. God, I guess it was, it was his 60th birthday. So it would have been
2: 1988. Yeah. I was a Mickey's Starland. I, I never saw Mickey's birthday land. So I was Starland. And our extent, usually when we would head back there, we would make it about as far as Mickey and Minnie's house. And that was kind of all we did. But I have seen pictures of Minnie Moo. And, and it's kind of fascinating to think about there being a petting farm in, in a Disney park. I mean, I know there's one in Animal Kingdom now. But I mean, obviously, it seems to fit a little bit better there. But the idea of there being one in Magic Kingdom is just interesting.
3: And I never realized because I was never a big um, Donald Duck cartoon or, or, or comic or, or even animated series fan. I didn't realize that Grandma Duck's farm was not something that was just created for this fictional town of, of Duckburg in Walt Disney World, but it was actually a farm located in Duckburg, and, and there was a real you know Grandma Duck who came to Duckburg as a pioneer. Uh, so if you remember the um, the comics and the stories, that's where grandma duck actually came from and i had no idea i thought that was something that was just created for the parks um when i went again interesting choices for interesting times we're, we're going to talk a lot about the um you know the 80s and 90s i think um throughout our conversation today
2: uh let's see for my next one i i I'm going to go with the quick service restaurant that had five names. <laughs> Do you know the? And, and this is it, this is almost maybe not as much a, as a, a weird, but it's just kind of hard to believe that there was a there's a restaurant that still exists today that has had five different names, five different themes. So can you think of what location <clears throat> this is?
3: The first one that came to mind is, is it, it, it's in Fantasyland? Yes. Is it the Friars Nook?
2: It is. Yes. It was, (laughs) although kind of bummer because I was hoping I was going to stump you with something. Naive thought. Um, Yeah. It started out as the Lancers Inn, which was a pizza place. Then it was Gergie's Munchies and Crunchies. Then it was Lemire's Kitchen, which I vividly remember. They had a giant sandwich there called the Beast. Uh, Huge piles of lunch meat and fixins on a bun. And then it was the village fry shop. And now it's the fryer's nook.
3: And as soon as you said that, the first thing I thought of was how much I missed the pot roast mac and cheese that they had there. <laughs> um, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned some of these names, like, you know, obviously we know where, where Lumiere's comes from. Whenever I take people, through there or give people tours and and there's some really interesting um, stuff actually on the sign in terms of, of date and what it, what it represents. But when you ask them about Gurgis, Munchies and Crunchies, 99% of the people have no idea who or what a Gurgis, Munchies and Crunchies actually is because they don't know the film that it actually came from.
2: Yes. I, I have to admit, I have seen Black Cauldron.
3: You're the one. only one, the... but I now, but I I'm have, have to make it. that a Disney Plus pick of the week on the uh, on the Wednesday night live show just to make people go back and and see a movie that they probably have. Yeah, yeah. Scene.
2: You want to you want to talk about something? It's hard to believe Disney did. That's the the Black Cauldron fits perfectly <laughs> right. there. I I think I am going to lump another thing in there with that one is as far as a name change. I had the opportunity to visit King Stefan's banquet hall in Cinderella castle. And that's something that I think is one of those almost false memory things for a lot of people, because you think I, I think I ate at King Stefan's banquet hall, but why would there be a King Mm Stefan's in Cinderella castle? Because now today, obviously that's known as Cinderella's Royal table. And, researching i actually went straight to d23 and they said there really is no explanation for why it was named that there's nothing officially on record as to why they chose to put sleeping beauties the king from sleeping beauty in cinderella's castle
3: what i remember what you just sparked the memory was not necessarily king Stefan's banquet hall but where the bibbidi-bobbidi boutique is currently at that at, at for a long time it was a shop that sold like fantasy landesque esque type um, items. So you could go in there and buy steins and swords and other sort of medieval type weaponry before it was converted over to the Bibbidi-Bobbidi boutique, which I have to imagine is probably a lot more profitable because I don't think people were necessarily going home with swords and steins and, and chess pieces um, from that shop initially. Although nice. I actually
2: have very, very fond memories of of that store because I ha- I still today have my pink uh, princess hat that I got <laughs> there. It was a, it's a satin hat. My sister and I were ecstatic to get those because they were not a, a cheap hat. These were very nice merchandise pieces. And yeah, I've, I've kept it all these years because it's such a fond memory attached to that.
3: Well, and now you just prompted an idea for something that I'm going to have to add in later on that I completely didn't even think about as I was pulling this <laughs> list together. All right, we have a ton to get through. I'm going to start going through relatively quickly. Um, going back to shows, when I when I was thinking about Michael I, 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 Eisner, I went, well, we'll talk about him too. When I was thinking about Michael Iceberg and I was thinking about the Tomorrowland stage, I should have actually lumped in there. Uh, you know, we have sunny eclipse now. We had Michael Iceberg before for a number of years, you would have a number of different performing groups, the Kids of the Kingdom sometimes, other sort of outside local bands would actually come in and perform as well. And at one point, um, pre-Cosmic Ray, pre-Michael Iceberg, there was actually the Scat Cat Jazz Band. And if you remember from the Aristocats, there were three of the cats. The English cat was on the drums, the scat cat was one of the performers, and the Italian cat was there as well, and they would perform different songs, uh, I think not just necessarily from the Aristocats, but I know obviously Everybody Wants to Be a Cat was in there uh, as well, and I, it, if I remember correctly, it looked like these fur characters were performing on live instruments but they weren't but I, I do think there was also there may have been live performers with them as well so it was like part concert part meet and greet once again in the the plaza pavilion in that sort of tomorrowland terrace area
2: yeah from the picture i've seen it looks like the one cat at least was sitting behind a set of drums so he was at least pretending at to least play go the emotions uh, yeah yeah well, I have to go with uh, one in Tomorrowland as well, and it actually could kind of segue into Epcot if you're if you want to move on to Epcot after this. But I'm going to go with Galaxy Search that took oh, place gosh, um, in that. from <laughs> from 1994 to 98, and I actually have very vivid memories of this show because it starred a giant dinosaur robot. And uh, this took place at the Galaxy Palace Theater, which would have been between Buzz Lightyear and the Carousel of Progress today. It's just boarded over. Uh, But this was like, think Star Surge. It was Mickey hosting a show with all of the Fab Five and friends that each had their own alien act that would join them. So um, Donald, Pluto, Minnie, they each did one. Uh, One of the alien acts was like these two or three headed poodle sisters that would come out and sing. Very funky, you know, fit very well with the Tomorrowland 94 interplanetary type theme but goofy's act that joined him was king and it was kind of alluded to through the whole show because you'd hear this growling happening off stage goofy would say he's getting hungry he wants to go on everyone's wondering who is this character and finally once it's goofy's turn up from the the right side of the stage not even part of the stage but behind like a a facade or something, think behind where Buzz Lightyear is, up comes this like three or four story robot dino with an Elvis <laughs> impersonator, uh, like the white sequiny costume collar thing with the, the black hair and gla- mirror glasses, and he would sing, you know, how he wanted to be your loving teddy bear, and... and- <laughs> And there would be smoke behind it, and it, it, that the king, the dinosaur, was stuck in my memory. But he—that was actually not his first appearance. He was used in another interesting show at Epcot as well.
3: I forgot about Galaxy Search. Um, it's you know, it's funny. I thought I was like, wow, I thought I had a pretty comprehensive list as I was doing my, uh, you know, my my mental brain dump, but. You're right. It, well, and I don't want to sort of steal your thunder for what I know is going to be your connective tissue between <laughs> this and um, and and Epcot. Um, but yeah, I mean, and if you remember the Galaxy Palace Theater, which is where the, this open air theater, which is now sort of closed off in between Buzz and Carousel, Products, That's also where they performed um, Mickey's Twas the Night Before Christmas. Disney World is your world. Magic Music Days were there. Night of Joy was there. Disney Mania is there. All of which I think could certainly be added to this list as well. I'm trying to think if the Totally Mini Show was there too. The Totally Mini Show was another sort of wacky mid '80s show that was like '86. I think was the was what they Disney declared 1986 is going to be the year of. Minnie Mouse. And there was, they were really trying to bring Minnie a lot more towards the forefront. Um, They had redesigned her a lot. They had borrowed, they had made her very 80s by borrowing a lot of design elements from current pop stars. And they gave her the job of being a pop star. And it was all about synergy back then. So they had a totally mini album. And she, she, Minnie actually sang her own versions and covers of Hey Mickey, like the Tony Basil song, and Let's Get Together by the Sherman Brothers. And like Daisy Duck and Clara Beryl was there. And there was this totally mini song and dance review in Magic Kingdom. There was a one-hour TV special on NBC, which they unfortunately don't do anymore, starring Suzanne Somers. It's now Screaming 1988. Uh, And Robert Carradine, from Back to the Future fame um, was Maxwell Dweeb, who was a nerd who was being taught. He, he was he was teaching a nerd how to be cool. So it was tying into the whole Back to the Future. It was very weird. It was very awkward. And I'm wondering if that's where the Tomorrowland. I think that's where where, where this one this totally mini this totally mini song and dance review and little mini workout show was happening in order to tie in with the, the TV special and the album and everything else that was going on in this whole synergistic world. Do you also remember the Mickey Starland afternoon show? So when Mickey's birthday land was retired, this temporary land that was only supposed to be there for six months was so popular, it became Mickey Starland, again, screaming 80s, and... They had this show that featured characters from the Disney Afternoon, like DuckTales, Tailspin, Gummy Bear, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop, and Bonkers. Um, And this took place, again, it's hard to even sort of picture where it is now, sort of near where the judge's tent is now in Mickey's Birthday Land slash Starland slash Toontown. Again, where it was a a very, this was a great, easy opportunity to bring in a lot of the synergy from Disney Channel and Disney Afternoon. Before we get to Epcot, I've got to mention not one, not two, not three, but three things. Um, When we were talking about the Pooh, the Winnie the Pooh presidential campaign, it made me think about the America on Parade parade, which was this, again, it, it took place in, the mid-70s, around the year at the time of the bicentennial. Um, it, if I, I almost can't describe it accurately enough. You almost need to Google on the YouTubes a video of the America on Parade. It was very inspiring. It was very patriotic. But there were a lot of these very large, freakishy looking, and we'll connect this to Epcot too, um, walk-around puppet-type characters that were... Looking back, exceptionally bizarre. Uh, If you think those pictures of the early Mickey walk-around characters at Disneyland from the 50s were crazy, Mm -hmm. America on Parade (laughs) says, I've got something to show you. And I just have to very quickly mention the birthday celebrations um, at Walt Disney World, specifically the 15th and the 25th. And the 15th, I can't believe it ever happened because when it turned 15 years old, once again, they had a a uh, on ABC. Now it was a fifteenth birthday celebration show. It was hosted by B. Arthur and Betty White, who clearly just lives forever. And it featured <laughs> the monkeys, Air Supply, Emmanuel Lewis, like Webster was on there. And they had not just just this special, but they also had not one but two specials on. The Disney Channel, they had the Magic Celebration Live and they also had Walt Disney World, A Dream Come True that was really cool because it focused on, which we don't really see very much anymore except now on, on Disney Plus with the Imagineering story. It was really about the history of the resort and it was a tour of the current resorts, and it also gave a sneak peek at what was to come like Pleasure Island, MGM Studios and the Norway Pavilion Epcot. But the reason why I add this to the I can't believe it ever happened list was because not just did they have the of course you know celebratory you know parade, but they also gave out prizes every 15 seconds. So right outside the entrance to Magic Kingdom, there were these clocks that would ring every 15 seconds, and every time a guest went through the turnstile, they would receive a ticket and I could still remember seeing it. It was yellow and had sort of blackish blue typed out writing on it and would let you know if you won anything and you could get like hats and buttons and visors and t-shirts and you could also get uh, free tickets to the park and you could also win a car and I'm, sure it was sponsored by GM or Chevrolet at the time. So you were able to win like one of those sweet new Chevy Blazers just by going (laughs) to Disney World.
2: Yeah, the 15th was my first anniversary celebration was the 20th, but the 25th you bring up. (laughs) <laughs> I vividly remember the 25th and the year before. We were there when the castle was half pink. And we we walked in and we're like, what is happening? And I remember my mom saying, that can't be primer. Because <laughs> they're like, primer for what? But then when we returned the next year, we were all in. I mean, we felt bad for people if that was their one and only trip to Disney World and they don't get the classic castle picture. I understand those feelings. But if you go back on the WDW radio blog, you will find my Walt Disney World confession. And my confession is I loved the castle cake. I mean, I was the perfect age for that thing. It it was just like imagination brought to life for me as a kid and I had a t-shirt with the cake on it and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised there are still people that don't know that it, it happened because it's just such a controversial issue, but I'm always surprised when someone is like, what they they painted the castle pink.
3: Well, and and I want to know who was the person that walked into a meeting. and was like, guys, I've got a great idea. We're not only going to paint the castle pink, but we're going to add on all of these little accoutrements to make it look like there's jelly beans and candy and candy canes and all these things on it. We're going to put a big 25 on there, and we're going to put sprinkles on it, and we're going to ruin everybody's pictures for the next 18 <laughs> months. It was, Again, some people love it. Some people very much. Did. It was affectionately known to many as the Pepto-Bismol cake because the choice of color very much um, reminded people of the color of of Pepto-Bismol, but they wanted to really celebrate it in a way that was going to be very impactful, and it was because I think it was so divisive for people. Um, I think some people were very upset going there. I'm almost hesitant, whatever. I'll tell a story one day on on a Wednesday night live show about my experience with the Pink castle cake and why it was the kiss of why doing part to the pink castle cake. I almost didn't visit Walt Disney World for a, a long time, like more than a year. Uh, but there were some people that liked it. Um, I, I think it was not just the pink, but I think it was all of these. They had these like inflatable extensions onto yeah. the turret and stuff that almost. I mean, again, it was made to look not like a castle, but more like a a cake Um, but they did do it it did
2: it did look a little funny when when one of them would start to lose a little air in the (laughs) afternoon and a a candle would start to droop or it's funny because i actually saw someone yesterday who someone had shared on twitter someone was selling pieces of the inflatable everyone was questioning whether or not they were real but they had like pieces of the inflatable icing on ebay
3: and i'm sure that there's a collector that wants it Um, But they also, I mean, they did some cool things for the anniversary, too. You were able to get guest of honor badges. You could go to what was at the time the the Walt Disney Story and the Disney Anna Store, which was, you wouldn't go to City Hall. It was the opposite side where um, currently the Mickey and Princess Meet and Greet are by Tony's. And you can get a guest of honor badge, and they would give you a sticker that would mark the first year that you went. Or you can get a special one. If you were a first time visitor um, and the guest of honor and you could also get I think you also got the free lithograph when you registered and the lithograph did not have the pancake. Fortunately had the blue one and it had it had this it almost looked like this um, gold leaf type outline with characters in it of Disney characters and said Walt is World's 25th anniversary on it. And they also had a film called uh, Mickey's, it was Mickey's Magical Workshop and it had Sorcerer Mickey in there as well. That also gave people a sneak peek of upcoming projects because for a long time over the years, this was sort of the Walt Disney World Preview Center where you'd be able to go and see Epcot and Hollywood Studios. This showed Disney Cruise Line and a model of Disney's Animal Kingdom and you could also buy some sort of like early like preview merch there as well. So I mean they really in addition to the cake, they did a lot of other cool stuff. They did Monorail wraps and a lot of 25th anniversary uh items. I'll 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 help you bridge over to Epcot. They did have a new Illuminations version called a uh, Illuminations 25 and and different stage shows and things like that. But I think when you think of the anniversaries the first thing that comes to mind for people is the castle cake. I'm going to post a question in the clubhouse on Facebook. I, I want to know. We're going to do a poll. Did you love the cake? Did you hate the cake? And and see where people lay.
2: I might have to see if I can dig out a picture of myself with the castle cake shirt on. I just want to see a picture of you clubhouse. from
3: 1986. That's all. That's I'm just curious <laughs> to see. <laughs>
2: Okay, so are we ready to make the jump to Epcot? I feel like we can stay in Magic Kingdom forever. But... We could,
3: but let's move. On. Let's make our way over.
2: Okay, oh, wait, wait, so wait. in I just real forget. wait.
3: I take oh. that back. Hold on a second. <laughs> I take the last thing I want to add very quickly. How did I forget about this? We talked about places to eat. We talked about things to do. Characters we saw, shows, parades. We didn't include any places to shop. Do you? And I think I have to include. Things you can't believe. Do you remember when there was an antique store in Liberty Square? So currently where Ye old Christmas shop is, there was the Old World Antique Store and there were like real antiques, like there were big pieces of furniture and tables and grandfather clocks and brass and pewter and copper. And while some were were reproductions, there was a lot of one of a kind antiques and there were actually people that would work for the company that would travel the country finding, you know colonial china and vintage clothing and the the cost of the items would range not just from a few dollars in in you know 1970s money but thousands of dollars like when you go to walt disney world what do you want to bring back mom i brought you back this colonial dining set where should we put it but (laughs) um the one thing that was unique about it was that every time you went you'd always find something different and if there wasn't that you wanted you should get it when you saw it because it wouldn't necessarily be there The next time you went and then next door we know with the Johnny Tremaine Silversmith shop and then next to that was Mademoiselle Lafitte's perfumery that created the custom perfumes. You could go in, pick out all of the different um, types of scents that you wanted and Disney would mix them into really almost an infinite number of combinations and then you would have your individual formula that they would record in a book so if you went back or dad or brother or your husband whatever came back years later you or they could say hey i'm here to get kendall's formula you know one nine seven one and they would remake it for you because that's your own unique scent and then you could also buy you know atomizers and bottles and and um, other sort of regular off-the-shelf brands but do you want to talk about really creating a Truly unique souvenir for somebody, go in and create your own brand of perfume. I can imagine kids going in, no, put more of that in. Just keep on adding that. And, you know, mom would have to at least pretend that she liked how nice it smelled.
2: Yeah, I mean, you bringing that up, I think you almost have to, I mean, we could just mentioned them by name, but a lot of the Main Street shops that existed for a while, too, like on Center Street and, you know, things like the New Century Clock Shop and the Hallmark Card Shop and the Wonderland of Wax and just the flower store. candles and yeah, the the Greenhouse and Main Street Bookshop and even some of the ones that, you know, for some of us maybe are more vivid memories, but for others maybe would be surprised by like the Penny Arcade even. I mean, I remember going to the Penny Arcade, but there might for a lot of people that might be kind of, you know, something they either entirely missed on or maybe they just kind of have vague memories of seeing those um, like the the moving picture machines and things like that that were in the Penny Arcade.
3: I spent a lot of time and a lot of quarters uh, in the arcade on Main Street. So but let's go over to Epcot, because if you think stuff got weird in Magic Kingdom.
2: <laughs> yeah, Epcot's the president of weird in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah. In the 90s, yeah. To make that transition, let's go back to talking about the giant uh, dinosaur robot. And he was not created for Galaxy Search. He was created for a show called Splash Tacular, which was so splash tacular <laughs> that it lasted for seven months. Um, <laughs> this, this, when I watch this show, I, it's kind of like, what, what is happening? It's like let's throw in every colorful strange thing and loosely tie it together with the idea that mickey and his friends are out celebrating color i, I guess they're, they're getting together and they're dancing and they're having a great afternoon on top of the fountain of nations celebrating color and it's better- From what I understand, I think that it was because of this show that we got the Fountain of Nations. Uh, that it, they they upgraded it to have the ability to do the timed uh, time to music uh, fountain show. That stuck around after Splash But uh, for this show, yeah, Mickey's out there. He's in something that looks uh, kind of akin to a cherry picker up above the fountain, and he's guiding the music, and everyone's dancing and singing, and and. From off to the side comes, I don't think she's ever named in the show, but kind of like an alien queen who is upset because her planet does not have color, and so she has come with her giant chrome men on stilts with chrome Mickey heads on their chests. I don't I guess they must have loved Mickey even though they were the enemy. I don't know. But they come walking in, and they take the color, and... And uh, there's there's more of the fountain, and then other things flying around. And she summons from the opposite side of the fountain. She summons her Dino Robo Alien, the Terror X which is is afraid, like the head the head. If you remember the Galaxy Search Show, the head of King, but he's kind of got like these metal ribs, and that's all. He- Is
1: Mickey, it looks like it's up to us. Quick, Minnie, give me the exterminator. Let's see how you like this. (laughs)
2: Terminated. Uh oh. He pops up to three to four stories with his metal ribs and his giant metal dino head and is menacing and Mickey does his magic and they win and everyone's happy. And to finish it all off, a giant rainbow comes up in front of spaceship earth with a great big Mickey head and, and everything's happy again, I guess.
3: <laughs> the, listen, yes. It sounds like Kendall has been, you know, dipping into the liquor cabinet but that is a pretty accurate (laughs) description of what (laughs) this show which at when it was advertised was this like unforgettable viewing experience like this was going to be the game changer show with these disney characters and 50 plus dancers and pyrotechnics and it's so good it's only going to last seven months because they realize that not only is it confusing But it's not very popular, and what they what what Disney said when they decided to close was it it doesn't really sort of mix into these revisions that are are coming to Epcot as part of the 1994 updates. It's it's not appropriate for interventions. Is actually the quote that they used this you know this pterosaurus pterosaurx um, this giant dinosaur head, um, and, and even though it was based on a show that was relatively popular in Tokyo. It just never really sort of found its way here um, in, in Walt Disney World. I think because it was so very bizarre and, and so very difficult to um, to follow in terms of, of story. And I think while guests were, were happy to see uh, Disney characters in it, I think the rest of the show was was it wasn't even like funny, wacky. It was just like, you know, it was mid 90s wacky, wacky. It,
2: it, I guess if you took Phantasmic and. And uh, yeah, threw, I don't, <laughs> threw it in a bucket with some mind bending craziness, because it does involve, you know, the, the water and Mickey using water to defeat an evil Dragonish type thing at the end, like it, it does kind of loosely have that sort of feel.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I think I think they just felt that it 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 was in stark contrast to what they were trying to do elsewhere in Epcot Center um, at that time. So um, again, if if you don't quite understand what we're referring to. There are plenty of videos out. Uh, I would love to hear if you have memories and, and of, of that show that, again, was only there for a very short period of time. But as we were starting to talk about bizarre shows and characters, and this is one that I know that we've talked about uh, a few times in the past, my mind goes right not to Future World but to World Showcase and a character that you probably would not have expected to see in Walt Disney World, but if you're looking for, around the same time, 1994, if you're looking for an ambassador of friendship at Epcot Center, <laughs> who else would you task with that title other than Barbie? Like Barbie, like the Barbie Dreamhouse Barbie. So Epcot and Mattel get together together, and they say Barbie is the perfect representative because she represents so many other cultures. Oh, by the way, Mattel also sponsors Sport, Small World and a toy store in Disney Villain Marketplace. But there is, and again, there's. I think we had a, and I'll link to it in the show notes. I'll remember what show we talked about this really at length. But there was this 20-minute show that took place at the America Gardens Theater in front of the American Adventure when Barbie would roll up literally in her super duper duper stretch pink limo and the show debuted in late 1993 um right around Thanksgiving the first version of the show debuted uh around Thanksgiving it closed the next day and they for rewrites like it was so not awesome that it, the original if you saw the original version of the show congratulations because you're the only one to see it because it literally changed the next day and they inserted some new video they inserted some new music they changed some of the the jokes in there and then it, it reopened in christmas 1993 and they had some other characters like skipper and stacy and jazzy and some of the other ones uh in there as well again i think for A park that started off having no characters at all—I think the magical world of Barbie show as her opposed to a Disney character being this, you know, global ambassador of friendship was was a very interesting choice. But I think too, Kendall, they also realize we've got to bring in something, especially into World Showcase, to make it more attractive to children.
2: Yes, and and enter. Enter my sister and I, because the first few trips our family made at Disney World, we visited Magic Kingdom, and then we visited Magic Kingdom and MGM Studios. And when it came time for the next trip, we had seen that Barbie was going to be coming to Epcot. And at my very young age, if, I, if PowerPoint had existed... You could have imagined me making a PowerPoint presentation for my father of all the reasons (laughs) why we should go to Epcot and all the stuff that these two little girls were going to enjoy there. And number one was Barbie. Like we were convinced we have to convince dad to take us to Epcot so we can see Barbie on stage. So if that was what they were after, they at least got our family to go to Epcot because we have several photos of us watching the magical world of Barbie
3: and did you get one of the special Walt Disney World like special edition Disney fun Barbie dolls or did you get the glam auto pink Cadillac limo for your new Disney Barbie doll
2: I never did get a, a pink limo but I you know I've looked at that Barbie and that's one of those I can't remember if I actually had it or like a false memory kind of thing that I just wish I had it I'm not sure
3: because she and, and if you're remembering the pink limousine It was actually created for Mickey for his birthday celebration, and then it was painted pink, and they added sparkles and all kinds of Barbie memorabilia inside. So it was a recycled car that that they had used for Mickey and then eventually brought over to Epcot uh, for use with Barbie.
2: I think um, I'm going to stay in World Showcase for the next one, and I'm going to go with Surprise in the Skies. in 1991 which i think was very aptly named to line up with the surprise celebration parade happening over at magic kingdom which we never did we never mentioned that the giant inflatable float parade for the 20th birthday but at, at epcot they had surprise in the skies which took place on the world showcase lagoon and it had everything. It had boats, it had flags, and kites, and streamers, and fireworks, and paraplanes piloted by Mickey, and Minnie, and Pooh, and Chip, and Dale. And I I don't think there was any particular story associated with this, from what I can tell. It just, it looked like it was a lot of stunt work and, and pageantry. And then the one thing that was, at least I thought, was unbelievable with this show, aside from the fact that characters were piloting paraplanes, was toward the end of the show, there were these giant, like jack-in-the-box type boxes in front of each country. And to, to cap it all off, out of them would pop these inflatable, uh huge Mickey, Pooh, Robin Hood, and several of them were dressed to fit whatever country they were standing in front of. Uh, so like Pluto had on a beret and he was in front of France. Mickey was wearing his patriotic gear in front of the American adventure. Winnie the Pooh was dressed like a Canadian Mountie. We had Viking Goofy, but these things were huge. I mean, several story inflatable, and I'm not sure how quickly they were able to deflate them and stuff them back in the box when it was all over. But it's it's pretty impressive if you find a video to see them pop out that quickly at the end. Well, what I remember
3: about Surprise in the Skies, and to be clear, Surprise in the Sky was a daytime show, right? It was really it was a daytime yes. show that took place on and above the lagoon.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Epcot Center is proud to present over the world showcase lagoon Surprise in the Sky.
3: And if you're. Break out some of the individual elements: these these diamond kite trains and these um, these flying vehicles. I mean, it was actually very impressive, including having the the daytime pyrotechnics as well. It reminds me of what I saw over in Tokyo Disney Sea in terms of how they utilize their lagoon for both daytime and nighttime shows as well. Um, it, it was short-lived, right? It was only it was only there for a year. And you wonder why, right? Why not have a, a daytime show like that continuing for longer? Was it expense? Was it interest? Was it weather? Was it something else? When I do see some of those diamond kite trains, it makes me think about what is currently there, the Epcot forever show and what we're seeing at night. And then what we might see going f- forward in the future in terms of utilizing both the surface of the lagoon and then, <clears throat> excuse me, the space above it for um, the show that is to to come uh, harmonious, um, coming hopefully sooner rather than later in Epcot. Um, but as you started to talk about this and sort of these giant inflatables, you make me start, you know, we're, let's start thinking about scale, right? I'm going to start connecting the, the dots in terms of scale because – Let's go back for a second, right? When when Epcot first opened, and I mentioned this about Barbie, they very much wanted to differentiate this park from Magic Kingdom in not having any Disney characters, which is part of the reason why hidden Mickey's started to be created was because Imagineers wanted to hide a little bit of Mickey in the park, and and Epcot had its own cast of unique characters like Dreamfinder, Figment. Ham and eggs, some of the other ones from some of the other different shows as well. But what they did was they created for Epcot, or they sort of really repurposed for World Showcase um, some characters that were developed for America on Parade, the parade that ran at Magic Kingdom in the mid seventies. That they brought over to Epcot, they created a bunch of new ones as well, and these. Giant people of the world dolls these these <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen them, they were also known as the Epcot pageant dolls, and what they did was they created these oversized doll headed characters that were not only part of some of the different parades on the promenade but were actually uh they were there for the pre opening celebration uh when they dedicated world Showcase. But these People of the World dolls would not just sort of parade around, but they would be found walking and taking pictures in front of and near the different pavilions with photos. So if you remember the America on Parade, um, Daytime Parade in Magic Kingdom, you'd see some of those. Actually, they actually use some of these same type of figures in liberty square um you'd see some of these characters uh doing photo opportunities by uh, hall of presidents and by the liberty bell and and by the tree and they ended up just taking these characters dressing them in in culturally appropriate outfits for each of the different pavilions that were there um and that look I remember seeing these. I tried desperately to find a picture of myself with one because I do remember seeing them and taking pictures. They were very, look, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. I get it. But they were very large, somewhat freakishly looking, almost like oversized It's a Small World dolls that were walking around taking pictures with guests.
2: Yeah, I never saw these personally, but I've seen pictures. and Yeah, they're very oddly proportioned and... And and overbearing. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's
3: hard to describe in audio. Like, I don't think we're doing these necessarily justice because it's hard to imagine what these characters look like. But imagine this nine foot tall figure with an overly large head, you know, dressed as if she was from, Mexico or from Saudi because they weren't necessarily just from the countries that were there and and there was probably I think that I, I read something that they made like 150 different ones that you could find because remember too there was also um, later on there was like other countries in Millennium Village but there were a, a lot of different ones that you just find sort of wandering the the promenade as well
2: well, I'm gonna go from one creepy interaction to another. only this one's over in future world, and there were actually uh when test track opened, there were walk around crash test dummy characters
3: I forgot about those
2: and if you can find a photo of these online they they are very definite nightmare fuel, like these things are coming for you. I mean, I I remember the crash test dummy commercials that used to exist. I think those were a thing in the 90s or maybe the early 2000s. But yeah, if you took like those crash test gummy guys from the commercials and made them as walk around characters in Epcot, at least in the commercials, they were a little less creepy because they spoke, but this is a costume character in Epcot, so they're not going to speak and they're just staring into the camera with their dead dummy eyes.
3: i I want to just quickly um there's a couple of sort of smaller ones that I want to mention again we're we're talking you know if you if you look Kendall, none of these things are are permanent sort of attractions or installations except for maybe one that I'm going to touch on here, but they're you know parades or shows and sometimes there are also some individual acts that you will find throughout the park so for example, do you remember the Christos? KRISTOS which again go with us here uh they were i think i think they began late 90s and it was a contortionist group that performed in the center of future world because that's exactly what you think of they were actually they they again trying to describe it imagine these performers in skin tight body suits with face coverings and these giant black eyes. So there's sort of these turquoise green land of the lost slee stack looking figures <laughs> that were contortionists that were, were meant to be these visiting alien contortionists. And they was this very sort of weird, dark, ominous music that they wanted to meet epcot's you know newest visitors and they'd come out with these in spandex and do all these like weird contortiony things with creepy kind of music thing. i mean i have very small haunting memories of the cristo show um but i do believe it lasted you know, they, they were there for a number of years um out in front of spaceship like on the you know in the center courtyard behind spaceship earth
2: I feel like I have vague memories of that as well.
3: Do you remember the walking stilt birds? Do you remember the giant stilt birds? So after... Okay, so pre-Tapestry of Nations, there were these giant troops of stilt birds that would walk around... (laughs) You're looking at me as if I'm crazy. I swear, it's true. (laughs) They were called... Cirkly, C I R I K L I, the wandering stilt birds. And they were just found sort of making their way around the promenade. And if you look to Tapestry of Nations and then Tapestry of Dreams, you would see a little bit of influence of these birds in some sections of that parade as well. And I think that they, look, I think what they were trying to do was add an energy to both Future World and World Showcase in a way that was not necessarily have to be this full-blown production. So if you remember the Canadian Lumberjacks, do you remember those guys performing? Okay, yes. Not as crazy as the aliens or as the stilt birds, but they were trying to do different things to bring splashes of, I think, energy and you know, a, small attractors throughout the park.
2: Yeah, and I really feel like that's a list that could go on and on. I mean, I vividly remember I don't remember the name of the group, but I remember in Morocco when I was a kid, there was a group that would come out with um like all percussion type instruments, you know, dressed in Moroccan garb, and I just the the main guy that I remember, he had a like a metal bowl that he would balance on his head and he would play the bowl <laughs> like how you would play a triangle. And it was it was so foreign, but obviously, you know, a cultural interaction, and it's stuck in my memory. I I never knew you could play a bowl. And I think
3: before we leave Epcot, and and I know we've talked about this on the show um, a a number of different times in in a number of different contexts, but I I think as long as we we would be remiss if we did not mention the Astuter computer review. you see, my friends, the computer makes life easier. Look, makes look, remember, computers were... Me
1: time and headaches, too. He sorts things out, analyzes in a shake. My enormous problem, to him's a piece of cake. He's got a great big memory like an elephant.
3: Remember, computers were not necessarily these incredibly powerful devices that we hold in our hands today, but in... The early 80s, the idea of computing, certainly personal and home computing, was very, very novel and new and almost foreign to people. And the Astuter Computer Review was this show with an amazing song by the Sherman Brothers, by the way, that showed us how this gigantic room of computers was going to make our life easier and all the things that would be able to do if and when we eventually had and could afford a personal computer in our home. Uh, I know I've talked about this uh, at length in, a, in the past on past shows, so I won't talk about it too much, but Ken Jennings was the performer who was in there uh, sort of projected using this Pepper's Ghost type effect. It only lasted about a year, but I think I remember this as a kid who was a, was, is a computer nerd and was fascinated by being able to look and to see this giant set of, you know, this room full of working mainframe computers that was helping to power Epcot Center.
2: Yeah, I think that would have been really interesting to see. I mean, you know, like you say maybe not a, not as mainstream for everybody, but I, especially for people who love behind the scenes. I think that would have just fed the fascination of seeing the, you know, the computer that was running everything. Yeah. But oh, look, I actually, before before we leave Epcot, I have one more thing that I'm supr- I'm shocked that you didn't bring up the Epcot Daredevil Circus <laughs> Spectacular. I, I, we cannot leave Epcot without discussing this. Just put aside the the idea of a circus in Epcot, but the fact that they built a stage on top of the Fountain of Nations that was able to withstand the weight of all the trapeze equipment and like five elephants. Yes, (laughs) elephants, live elephants in Epcot. But it wasn't just elephants. It was uh, flying trapeze. It was tightrope walkers. It was a motorcycle on a tightrope with a trapeze artist hanging from the motorcycle as they rode from the top of CommuniCore to Spaceship Earth.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Walt Disney World proudly presents Epcot's Daredevil Circus Spectacular. And now, the commander of the space transport, who has brought all of the intergalactic stars and daredevils from the distant reaches of the universe, the master of the rings of
1: space, welcome, Commander!
2: Go back. I encourage everyone, find videos of this, watch it, because it's just, everything is like, it can't get more amazing than that. It can't get more unbelievable than that. And every one of them does. Every act that came out there for this futuristic circus is just more wild than the last.
3: Lest we forget the Wheel of Destiny. Like, it was... It was, and it, the Daredevil Circus Spectacular could almost warrant its own show because there was so much to it, right? And so when you mentioned the elephants, they, they were called Martian Mastodons. I don't know why Disney felt that they had to sort of like sci-fi and space up everything that they did. But I, I think, and again, we could almost go into a, a much... Longer description of it, but if you want to go and, and watch the video and understand why this very much has to be on the list, I think as we as we make our way out from Epcot, I think what all of these things do, and look, there's other things that we can add in, in into um, this list too. I, I think there's a few other things that could probably warrant the list, but but I think what it indicates is that they never really they really had a tough time trying to figure out what Epcot was and was supposed to be and what they wanted it to be. And I think that they this was very much a trial and error idea that, that really Eisner was going through because they wanted it to not be Magic Kingdom, but they wanted to, obviously, they had to inject something in there to make it less educational more entertaining and sort of this combining this this idea of of edutainment. So, you know, maybe Michael Ives was like, you know what we need in here? We need a circus. They tried it in Disneyland. It didn't necessarily work there. Let's try it here, but we'll make it futuristic and spacey and just give it all sort of scientific <laughs> names. But even things like the Christos and and some of the the you know the the parades and shows um I think it was very much like Epcot was very much a, an experiment, and a lot of these things really were just meant to be trial and error. A lot of trial, a whole bunch of error, but...
2: It does prove that there, there's always been some things out of place in Epcot. Everyone wants to say that everything's all a, a shambles and the Epcot purists of today, but there's always been a little weird going on in Epcot.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's things that we missed too, so if there's something in Epcot or Magic Kingdom that we mm-hmm. skipped, and they're like, wait a minute, don't you guys remember... which were not weird, but they were awesome. But don't you remember X? Please email me. Let me know, Lou, at www.radio.com, or we'll continue this conversation in the group over on Facebook at www.radio.com slash community. Uh, But let's move from the futuristic and wild and wacky, non-synergistic Epcot Center over to, to the Disney MGM Studios, where... This is, I think, the place we are going to mention some names and some intellectual properties. You're going to go, no, no, Lou, you've got that confused. That's going to do it for part one of our look at things we just can't believe actually happened in Walt Disney World. Who would have guessed that there would have been so much in just Magic Kingdom and Epcot If you think things are wacky in those two parks, just wait till we get to Disney's Hollywood Studios and then outside the park. Please make sure and tune in next week and share your thoughts, your comments, your memories about this week's show in the WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook and by calling the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or just see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, hear, taste, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney Prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week's question was a salute to all pavilions in World Showcase, but mostly Japan, because in that pavilion, which, yes, is my favorite, there was a gift that was given to Walt Disney World, specifically Roy Disney, from the Emperor of Japan. This gift was originally located at the Polynesian, but was moved to Epcot when it opened. And I asked you to tell me what item in the pavilion was that gift. So first, thank you and congratulations to everyone who entered and got this one correct and knew that the answer is a Japanese lantern or a Toro. Now, just a quick bit of history. When Emperor Hirohito of Japan visited Disneyland in 1975, he was given as a gift a Mickey Mouse watch, which became one of his most prized possessions. In 1979, it stopped ticking. The Emperor was very concerned. They brought in American watch experts to fix it. It was actually reported in the Times. Of course, it was just discovered that all it needed was a new battery, but it demonstrated just how important Disney was to the Emperor and really the friendship and the relationship that he had with not just the company, but really with Roy Disney himself. And because of that friendship, and yes, because the Emperor eventually wanted to have a Disney park in Japan, when Walt Disney World opened, the Emperor gave a gift of this stone lantern known as a toro during the dedication of the Magic Kingdom to Roy. Now to be clear, this stone lantern is actually on a pedestal. It's about probably seven, eight feet tall, so it's quite large. After the Magic Kingdom opened, it was moved to the Polynesian Village Resort, and then once Epcot opened, it was moved to the Japan Pavilion and placed in the Rock Garden just across from the entrance to the Mitsukoshi Department Store. Now, the lantern and its design is significant, not just because of what is on it. For example, the deer on the lantern is a representation of the Nara Deer Park in Japan. But the lantern really is meant to light the way to success for Disney and specifically Walt Disney World. Oh, by the way, obviously we know that Japan did in fact get their park after they signed a contract back in 1979 to build Tokyo Disneyland. But I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, last week you were playing for not just all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for not walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the history, secrets, and stories of Magic Kingdom, both, by the way, still available at the shop at www.radio.com, but I'm also going to send you a brand new WW Radio blue cobalt mug, brand new item, just got it in, as part of your prize package, and last week's winner, randomly selected is, Connie Riley. So Connie, from Merrick, New York, I have your address, I will get your prize package out to right away, if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this time I'm going to make it nice and simple for you because all I want you to do is tell me where in Walt Disney World can or have you heard this phrase and I'm going to do it in the radio voice because it's done in a radio voice. This is KNRG News Radio. Hey, let's check the weather report and see if it's going to stay way cool outside. Okay, so that's not the best radio voice in the world but you get the idea. All you need to do is tell me where in Walt Disney World you can or have heard that phrase. Just go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, you're going to play for the book, the audio tours, and the brand spanking new WW Radio mug. You have until Sunday, September 27th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to enter. And also be sure and check out my Instagram posts and stories at instagram.com slash Lou for some somewhat daily Disney trivia For no real prizes other than the warm and fuzzies that you either got it right or that you learned something new. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. On a personal level, I have to say quick thanks again to you. Um, This past week, my mom passed away after... Being in the hospital for the past nine months and you really have demonstrated what I have been saying all along that you are not just friends, but you're really our family and the incredible thoughtfulness and kindness and outpouring of love and empathy and compassion has been nothing short of overwhelming from cards to phone calls, messages, emails, social posts and deliveries of homemade matzo ball soup and and cupcakes Um, I don't want to take too much time, but please know that I will never, ever forget this and what you have done. And you have given me incredible solace during this time. And it really is a testament to this incredible family that you have not only helped create, but are such an important part of. So from me and my family to you, thank you. I love and appreciate and, and cherish you. And I know that my mom does as well. And I don't mean to bring down the room, but we need to keep moving forward as a wise man once said, and as I'm sure my mom would want me to do. So uh, thank you once again for being part of this family and more importantly, this community. To keep the conversation, please go to wwradiocom community. That will link you to our Facebook group where we can talk about this week's show and anything else you want to chat about Speaking of thanks, huge thanks to some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family, including Rick Padoya, Deanne Herr, Don Brown, and Armando Reynal. I sincerely appreciate you. Please visit WWRadio.com support to find out not only how you can help the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts, trivia quests. We have a private Facebook group, logo gear, T-shirts, backpacks care packages from Walt Disney World exclusive live video group calls and more to find out more visit www.radio.com support again it's completely optional great way for you to help show your support for the show and starts as little as a dollar a month and please don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of your contribution do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America So in addition to the WW Radio Clubhouse, our group on Facebook and The Nation, I'd love to connect with you on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. And if you have a question you want me to answer on the air, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. Call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. I'd love to help you the way you helped me turn what you love into what you do with either one-on-one coaching. I still have one spot left for our weekly mastermind group. To find out some of the ways we can work together, you can visit loomangelo.com. Thanks, as always, to my partner, sponsor, and longtime friend, Becky Mankin, and the entire team at Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. Whether you're planning your next Disney vacation or destination anywhere in the world, visit mousefantravel.com for your free, no-obligation quote. At an incredible level of personal service as well. Finally, most importantly, my friend, because you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word, tell a friend, invite them to listen, be part of the community, and if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. It's incredibly, incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Kate the Crepe, not creep, crepe, C-R-E-P-E, Who says, this is all the magic we need. I can't believe I haven't composed a review yet. But as I'm sitting here on the last day of our COVID safe vacation in our Airbnb, I felt compelled to. She says, my husband and I have been listening for about a year now since we started planning our Disney honeymoon. We managed to squeeze in last November. She's got a three-month-old and was listening to the podcast while she was stuck at home back in March. Pregnant and laid off. And man, it was all the magic that I needed. To say we're Disney people is an understatement. She was a college program participant at the Epic Stunt Spectacular and the Summer Frozen Fireworks and the Frozen Parade. The Lou's podcast is just what we need during these times. In our road trips, walks, and spare time, we listen to all his musings and mouth-watering reviews just so we can get a taste of the magic that we so desperately crave all the way in Rhode Island. I'm still trying to convince myself to take the plunge and move to Florida so we can hang out with the cool kids and eat our way around the parks. Come down, do it. It's awesome. But the COVID job market has me now more terrified than ever. Kate, reach out to me. I'm happy to help you any way I can. So until I work out the courage to take the plunge and be happy year-round, I'll just keep getting my daily dose of happy and magic from Lose Positivity. P.S. I'm totally convinced that my daughter now recognizes your voice, considering there hasn't been a day she hasn't heard it in her three-month-old life. Thank you, daughter. I'm sorry, but I'd probably put you to sleep at night, so there you go. And oof. IDK Potato from the United Kingdom says it's a must for any Disney fans. I've been a listener for a few years now on Lou's podcasts have deepened my love for the parks through learning about the history and details, hearing from the people who helped design and create them. His shows are funny, informative, and heartwarming. Lou and his guests' genuine love of Disney and the park shines through. Invaluable for a first time or long time visitors to the parks. They'll even bring more magic to your visits and to the waits in between. Kate baby Kate and oof IDK potato. Thank you so much again. Just search for WW radio and Apple podcasts or go to WW slash iTunes to find out how and where to leave a review. Finally, most importantly, um, you've heard me say for years, how much you mean to me. And this past week has continued to reinforce and strengthen the love and gratitude that I have for you. I promise you that I've read every message every comment, every post every note and the incredibly meaningful and thoughtful flowers that you collectively as a clubhouse sent to the funeral um, that was the thing that made me cry um, I was able to hold the, hold it together until I saw that but what you did um, maybe even unbeknownst to you but you are a collective community and, and I am um, thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, If there's any way that I can ever repay what you've done for me, back to you, please let me know. I cannot wait to see you again on Wednesday night for WW Radio Live on Facebook at 7.30. And thank you again for listening, for being part of my family. I really hope that this is your best week ever. I hope the show did bring you some happiness and maybe even a little inspiration this week. Please, now more than ever, don't just get out there and choose the good, but be the good um, to and for somebody else. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, see ya.
0: Hey, it's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. Um, It is my Monday off for Labor Day, um, and I was just listening to... Your episode 347, which was a live review of the Rosen Crown Pub in the Epcot or the UK Pavilion in Epcot, and my mouth is absolutely watering. Um, I love your live reviews, Lou, just because it brings me right back to so many memories I also have at the various restaurants. And not only is my mouth watering, like I said, I just want a Scottish egg and one of those really cool, like, mixed beverages, you know, the cider and the Guinness and the lagers and how they do, like, half and half. I would kill right now to be there. And it's bringing me back to so many memories good friends um, in that pavilion, in that pub. And, yeah, just thank you so much for doing that. Um, hope everyone's having a great day off if you do have a day off and that you have an awesome week ahead of you um
1: stay awesome stay magical and see you real soon bye hello lumangelo it's gabby naldo calling from columbia or gabby naldo from columbia maryland calling from disney's hollywood studios we are currently in the line for mickey's runaway railway after successfully getting boarding group 31 for Rise of the resistance um, we're really excited to be here. We haven't spoiled us- ourselves about Nikki's Runaway Railway, so we're super excited. Um, and, yeah, we're about midway through our, treat- our trip, and we can't wait to see what the next few days have in store. Um, we did have dinner at the boathouse yesterday, and it was delicious, as we knew it would be. Um, but, yeah, I'll call you again later. Bye. Hey, Lou Mangiello, this is Mike Log from New York City. I love your podcast. I've been listening to it for the last two years. And every Wednesday, you make me laugh, you make me cry. And, yes, you're bringing me back memories from when I was a kid, a lot younger than I am now. Enjoy your week. I hope to hear you next Tuesday afternoon.
4: Have a great afternoon. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Ben Burke from Charlotte, North Carolina. I just got done. Uh, you and I were running together. Uh, You may not realize it, but you're a pretty good pacer. I just got done with a four mile run. Uh, Of course, I listened to the sounds of Magic Kingdom. But uh, I actually just finished listening to your Disney Maritime Cruise um, playback and review. Uh, My family and I, uh, I just finished my graduate degree, and on day one, I told my family that after I finished my graduate degree and everybody sacrifices for me, I'm going to take them on a Disney cruise. So August 30th was our uh, departure date, and uh, unfortunately, because of COVID and everything going on, uh, we were not able to do that, so we had to cancel, Uh, but we were um, able to celebrate at home. We had, uh, everybody's got their favorite treats. We got Mickey bars. Uh, and we watched some vlogs about Disney cruises and got excited and tried to get it out of our systems, I thought. Uh, and then I started seeing your podcasts for all the cruises. So one day we hope to cruise. We've never been on a cruise, um, never been on a Disney cruise, but we hope that will happen. And uh, we'd love to have them with the, the rest of the group and the community. Uh, love everything you do. Keep it up. Feel free to do some more cruise reviews. Uh, You know, even after the fact, and even during while they're shut down, I know I would be a fan and uh, look forward to many more. And uh, congrats on 600.
1: I'm Shelby, North Carolina. Uh, You gave me a shout-out a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, and that was super exciting. Um, I am an occupational therapist, and I work with children with special needs. And a couple years ago, I was working a job that I loved. I adored my coworkers, and I adored the children I worked with. Um, But my schedule was really challenging. I was really struggling with work-life balance. (laughs) And um, kind of making my family fit into my schedule, that's important. Um, a lot of times, my job would require me to come in on the weekends and do lots of paperwork. So I would bring a coffee and listen to an episode of WBW Radio to kind of better while I was away from my family. It really helped. Um But I have been feeling annoyed to make a change to have better balance with my schedule in my life. And I'm gonna work on the bandwagon here and say that the moving to Disney episodes really gave me the courage to explore some other opportunities. Um, a lot more and I'm uh, not working weekends and holidays. So thank you so much for um Providing a wonderful positive outlet for all of us. Although moving uh, to Disney didn't cause my family to pack up and move, although I am campaigning for that with my husband, maybe one day, um, it did provide courage to make a change that really helps my family. So thank you so much for all that you do for all of us. Um, this is a wonderful community of people. Um, so thank you and congratulations on 600 episodes and I just look forward to a great future. Thank you so much. Bye.